0: Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. Did you know that as you age, your natural production of collagen declines? This results in fine lines and wrinkles, joint pain, dark circles under your eyes, and more. You see, collagen is like the glue that holds your body together. And luckily, there's an easy way to feed your body additional collagen. It's bone broth. Studies show consuming bone broth protein can boost metabolism, support gut health and digestion, reduce cellulite formation, can help grow healthy skin and nails, support joints and more. But if you've ever made bone broth, you know it's time consuming. And who really has the time to simmer bones for 48 hours? That's why I like to use bone broth protein powder. Simply mix a scoop with hot water, add to a smoothie or even a baked dish and reap all the benefits of collagen-rich protein in just 30 seconds a day. While most companies use the hides or the skin of the animal, which are less nutrient-dense than the bones, I always prefer using bones. And that's why I love Paleo Valley bone broth protein because they use 100% grass-fed beef bones from cows that are never fed GMO grains or any grains for that matter. They even test for over 40 pesticides to ensure this is the purest bone broth protein on the market. These bones are slow simmered to extract as much collagen protein as possible. They don't use any chemicals or solvents, just good old-fashioned bone broth that's then gently powdered. Now, when we think about bone broth, again, we think about the protein collagen, and there's several key amino acids in there, including glycine, proline, and hydroxyproline, and those help to to reduce the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles and help reduce cellulite. They're also critical for anti-aging as they help regenerate bones and help muscle and support heart health. Studies have shown eating bone broth soup on a regular basis can increase fullness reduce your calorie intake and lead to weight loss over time. And the amino acid glycine is really important for good sleep. In fact, a three gram dose of glycine improves sleep by lowering body temperature and boosting serotonin levels, which is a key precursor to melatonin. And it does that without causing daytime drowsiness. Each serving of 100% grass-fed beef bone broth protein Contains 15 grams of collagen protein and 3.4 grams of glycine. So you get that critical amount. So to get the Paleo Valley bone broth protein, just go to paleovalley.com forward slash drjockers and use the coupon code jockers to save 15% off your order today. You guys are going to love this. So try it out today. Again, go to paleovalley.com forward slash drjockers. Use the coupon code JOCKERS at checkout to save 15% off your order. Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, I am being interviewed by Kevin Ellis, who's better known as the Bone Coach, and he's the founder of BoneCoach.com and the Bone Coach podcast. So he interviewed me for his podcast, and I'm playing it here on mine because I thought the interview was so good. We talk about advanced nutrition strategies for bone health and chronic inflammation, So if you know anybody that perhaps has a family history of osteoporosis or osteopenia, osteomalacia, this kind of weakening state of the bones and then developing into osteoporosis, if you know anybody that has a family history of that, if if you're dealing with that yourself, this is the interview for you. I tie in how chronic inflammation leads to bone loss and the best nutrition and lifestyle strategies to support good bone health. You guys are going to get so much out of this interview. And if you want to go deeper with Kevin, he has a great Stronger Bones Solution program that uh, he's helped people with osteopenia and osteoporosis in over 1,500 plus cities uh, all around the world get confident in their Stronger Bones plan. It's a really great program, and I'll have a link for it in the show notes. Just go to drjockers.com, check out the show notes, and we'll have a link for the Stronger Bones Solution masterclass that he has You guys are going to love this interview. Again, share it with anybody that you know that you care about. And if you have not left us a five-star review, now is the time to do that. Go to Apple iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. That helps us reach more people and impact more lives with this message. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for being a part of our community. And let's go into the show.
1: Welcome, welcome to this episode of The Bone Coach Show. Joining us today to explore inflammation and bone health is Dr. David Jockers. Dr. David Jockers is a doctor of natural medicine and runs one of the most popular natural health websites in drjockers.com, which has gotten over 1 million monthly visitors and his work has been seen on popular media such as Dr. Oz Show and Hallmark Home and Family. Dr. Jockers is the author of the best-selling book, The Keto Metabolic Breakthrough, by Victory Belt Publishing, and the Fasting Transformation. He is a world renowned expert in the area of ketosis, fasting, brain health, inflammation and functional nutrition. He is also the host of popular Dr. Jockers Functional Nutrition Podcast. Dr. Jockers lives in Canton, Georgia with his wife, Angel, and his twin boys, David and Joshua, and his daughters, Joyful and Shine. Beautiful names. Absolutely love that. Dr. Jockers, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Kevin. Great to be on with you. love the work that you're doing. And I love the work that you're doing. I uh, I kind of mentioned earlier, we had a different conversation in another interview that we were doing that I actually had learned from Dr. Jockers kind of as I was coming up through my own health journey and learning some of the things along the way. And he's been just a tremendous person. If you're in the world of functional medicine, you've heard of Dr. Jockers and he's done some amazing work. And I'm really excited to get into what we're going to talk about today because we're going to explore inflammation and its impact on your health and your bones. And this is a really big topic and a big area of discussion. And I think you're definitely the right person to jump in with this. But before we do, I'd love to just get an understanding of how you even came from where you started and what your health journey was like and how you got to the point you're at now.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, growing up, I was an athlete, so I was a baseball player. I mean, played every sport I possibly could, and I was always into performance. And my mom actually, while I was while I was growing up, uh, she was actually studying to be a massage therapist and eventually a naturopath. And so she tried to change our diet. My dad was, you know, he was not into health. He was junk food. I mean, he, even to this day, he has a very selective palate. And so my mom really tried to convert our family. And I was probably like 10 or 11 years old, and I was completely rebelling against everything. But the way that she incentivized me to eat, you know, back then it was like early 90s. It was macrobiotic diet. So it was was very bland, steamed kale, lima beans, things like that. My mom knows a lot more about health. We teach a very similar nutrition plan now. However, back then, this is what we were eating. And I asked her one day, I'm like, why do I have to eat this kale? It's so bland. I don't like the taste. And she's like, well, you know what? It's gonna help your skin. My brother had acne. My older brother. She's like, it's gonna help your skin. It's gonna help you have more energy. It's gonna help you pr- play better. So you're gonna be a better baseball player. You're gonna be better at school. Everything at, that you want to do. And and I was like, you know what? That makes sense. And so, um, she told me, you know, if you're eating a lot of sugar, my brother used to eat chocolate bars and things like that all the time, processed chocolate bars. She's like, that's why he has the acne. And so. I started putting this together, like, okay, what I eat actually makes a difference to my health, and so I started making nutrition changes. Now, back then, I didn't know enough about my health, and uh, when I graduated high school, got into my early 20s, I became a personal trainer. And I was eating six meals a day, 5,000 calories a day, just to maintain my muscle mass. I've always been on the leaner side. I thought I needed to do this. All the bodybuilding magazines said I had to eat, you know, 5,000 calories and 500 grams of protein a day. And so that's what I was doing. And I ended up the Arnold Encyclopedia.
1: Bowel. The Arnold <laughs> yes. Encyclopedia. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Men's Health. That's what I was reading all the time, right? Getting my nutrition advice from that. And so, um, so when I ended up getting irritable bowel syndrome, And I went from actually 170 pounds, just full of muscle, 8% body fat, down to about 140 pounds. And I developed orthostatic hypotension where I went from sitting to standing. I would get really dizzy. I have to hold on to something. And I was fatigued throughout the day, had brain fog, trouble sleeping, had all these different health challenges. And I started making changes in my diet. I started cutting out processed foods and Uh, Made a lot of different changes and it helped. And along that, along the way there, I met a chiropractor who said, You know, you should be, you should look at going into chiropractic college. And I was a personal trainer and I thought, I want to run community wide fitness programs. I want to help people improve their health with nutrition and lifestyle. And he's like, You should look into chiropractic. And so I started looking into that and I was like, Well, this makes sense. The, The philosophy of chiropractic is that there's an innate intelligence that created your body from two cells and formed you into. You know, however many cells scientists say we have 10 trillion cells, or whatever it is, and is is literally working in your body every single moment of every day to heal and regenerate the different cells, tissues, and organs, to give you the greatest possible survival advantage. And I was like, wow, that makes sense. And it incorporates a holistic lifestyle focused around nutrition and exercise. I was like, that's me. So I signed up, go to chiropractic college, and uh just the stress of, you know, just uh, the, 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 I was working all the way through. So early on, um, you know, it was an intense program. And early on I developed, I, I had another kind of recurrent bout with the irritable bowel and had a lot of different issues. And, uh, that was a long, that was basically when I found drmercola.com. This was back in, uh, 2004, 2005. He t- started talking about the no grain diet. And I also read a book called the maker's diet by a good friend of mine, Jordan Rubin. And, uh, I started, Making those changes. And I actually was a vegetarian or, or a, you know, uh, I would eat fish. So I was a lacto, ovo, pescatarian. Um, and I thought that was the healthiest diet for me. And so I started coming off grains, legumes, basically following a paleo-style, lower carb template, um, grass-fed animal product diet. And completely transformed my health. I had my energy back, gained my muscle back. I just felt significantly better. In fact, I felt so good that, and I had a lot of seven a.m. classes that I had to go to, and I would work out in the morning before my, before my classes started. And I realized I just didn't even have time to eat breakfast, and I wasn't hungry in the morning. And so I started intermittent fasting long before I ever heard the term. And I would actually, I was one of those guys I would bring a gallon jug of water with me to class. And my goal was—you've you, seen those guys. You get the gallon jug, right? That was you too, yeah. Yeah. And so I was—I would, would drink a gallon of water between the time I woke up and noon, and I—and I had so much energy. My brain came alive. I actually went—I was actually at the top of my class in graduate school. I felt so good, and I was also feeling amazing in the gym. Like I was lifting more than I had ever lifted. I felt incredible as far as my my body's ability to adapt. And I would get hungry usually around 2 or 3 o'clock, and I would eat a whole bunch of food between 2 or 3 and maybe let's say 7 o'clock at night. And so I had this compressed eating window, and I had no idea about the health benefits of intermittent fasting and how it increases your human growth hormone, how it actually uh, stimulates autophagy, and my cells were able to heal and regenerate themselves from the inside out. I actually thought it was the water, and I I was taking exercise physiology. I have a master's degree in exercise physiology as well. And I was like, you know what? The water must be opening up and optimizing the the kind of cross fibers, the, the sarcomeres in my muscles, the cross fiber power, um, the power component of the, of the sarcomeres. And that must be why I feel so good. Um, and I'm sure the water was helpful, a lot of good benefits to drinking a lot of water. However, I later realized about well, five years later, the scientific benefits of intermittent fasting. And so- this sort of lifestyle completely transformed my life and my health. And I got out of school in 2008, opened my clinic in 2009, just outside of Atlanta, and have just been passionately teaching people about natural health principles ever since then. I started my website roughly around 2012. I was writing articles for a lot of other websites before then and getting a lot of traction. A lot of, uh, a lot of people reaching out to me and wanting to do long distance consultations and things like that. And so uh, finally, I eventually created my own website and uh, started youtube and all that kind of stuff back around 2012 2013 and it eventually took on a life of its own and um you know that's at this point i ended up selling up selling my clinic in 2019 and uh, i've just been really focused on creating the world's best natural health content on a wide range of topics really every single natural health topic that's what our my team and i are, are we're focused on covering and and really providing the best uh, research-based and easy to read and most thorough content on the internet. And uh, I really believe
1: that we're succeeding in that. That's amazing. And I mean, I would I would agree with that because I've I've looked at everything you published out there or many, many things that you published on your website. It's a great, amazing resource on your journey too. So that's drjockers.com. Uh, but thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah, I, I mean, I understand the journey of being the guy who thinks you just have to eat all the time and you know get in there to build as much muscle as you possibly can. And uh, it, it's so great to hear that you made these changes and then you started seeing dramatic changes in your health. And let's talk about inflammation. What is inflammation and how does that actually develop? Yeah, so inflammation is our
0: body's natural response to any sort of injury. And it's really a protective mechanism because we know that throughout the history of mankind, more people have died from chronic systemic infections, right? Or actually, I shouldn't say chronic, but acute infections that have got in through typically flesh wounds. Meaning, you know, if somebody was out like our, our ancestors before we really had good first aid, you know, they would be out working, hunting, or something like that. Um, harvesting, and they would get a flesh wound, right? So they would get a big cut in their leg, or their arm, whatever it was, and bacteria would get in there because we didn't really have good technology to sterilize it, and it would spread throughout the body and, and, and kill them. And, and this is the most common reason why people would die, even in wars and things like that. Most people didn't actually die from the wound from the actual, like if they were stabbed or shot or whatever it was. Typically, they were actually dying from the infection that occurred because of the flesh wound. And so our body is hardwired for survival. And so because we were, you know, there's all these different bacteria and microorganisms, their job is to break down decaying matter. And that's what they do when they get inside of our system. Our body has to have a defense against that. And so we created this immune response we call inflammation. And inflammation's job is to prevent against these infectious microbes from getting in and just going going crazy, going wild and culturing all over. And getting into our vital organs like our brain and causing meningitis, our lungs and causing pneumonia, um, and helping stop them in their tracks and allow us to survive that insult, and then go on, recover, heal, and really be able to function the way that we're supposed to, so we can reproduce, so we can, um, you know, live the best life possible. Now the issue in our society is we're not getting so many flesh wounds. However. Our gut itself, our our intestinal lining, is only, particularly in our small intestine, our large intestine is a little bit thicker, but in our small intestine, it's this tube that's only one cell wall. So when we think about our skin, we've got like, I think it's somewhere around seven to 12 layers, depending on what part of uh, your, your, your skin you're looking at, that protects the outside environment. So microbes, different uh, you know, environmental compounds like pollen, things like that from getting into our body, into our bloodstream, through our skin. Whereas in our small intestine, where we get a, a vast amount of nutrient absorption, we only have one a one cell wall lining. And that's because our ancestors faced more times where food was scarce than when food was plenty. If our ancestors had tons of food all the time, We probably would have five, six, seven layers, kind of like our skin, in our small intestine because nutrient absorption wouldn't be as important as preventing against endotoxins or bacterial toxins from getting into the bloodstream. So we would have prioritized that. But because we face so many times of food scarcity, and obviously we need nutrients in order to create new cells, in order to heal, in order to, to run all of our physiological processes to survive, it's only one cell. The benefit there is we get easy nutrient absorption uh, as long as we're breaking down the food, the food compounds into small enough, uh, small enough molecules to seep in there and uh, usable molecules for our cells. However, the downside is it's very easy for environmental toxins as well as bacteria and bacterial toxins, the outer cell walls of different bacteria or fungus or parasites to get into. Uh, our bloodstream where they drive up inflammation. When our bloodstream or when when our body senses that we have higher amounts of microbes, whether it's, you know, live bacteria, live fungus, live parasites, um, or fragments of them, we call those endotoxins, or, you know, in a sense, poop from these microbes, which again, we label into this category of endotoxins, when that's elevated, when it goes beyond a certain threshold in our bloodstream, our body starts to panic. It says, oh my gosh, we could be at risk of dying uh, from an acute infection, dying quickly, dying tonight from this infection. So we need to drive up defenses. We need to get our military ready. I know you were a Marine, right? It's like, hey, you know, now we're, we're activating the National Guard here, right? We, we need all defenses on guard and we drive up this inflammatory process. And the goal there is to get whatever the pathogen uh, that we're we're facing under control so we can survive. The issue is as long as we're eating and we've got this kind of tear in our gut, we call this leaky gut or intestinal permeability. We've got this damage in our gut. We're constantly pouring out more and more of these endotoxins, bacterial debris, uh, undigested food particles into the bloodstream, and we're constantly turning up inflammation. And then we get it into this, this state of chronic systemic inflammation. And over time, that wears down all the different tissues and organ systems in our body and creates major problems. And so leaky gut is a major factor. There are other components too, to having too much fat tissue, for example. Fat tissue itself, particularly a type of fat called visceral fat. Um, releases, this is the type of fat that actually surrounds our organs, not the type of fat that kind of provides more cushioning and um, thermal support, right? So we have that, that's kind of right under our skin. We call it subcutaneous fat. The visceral fat's what surrounds our organs. This is the really unhealthy fat that actually releases uh, t- um, inflammatory compounds, cytokines. So we're actually uh, pouring out more inflammatory producing molecules when we have this extra fat of course trauma or any sort of injuries that we have our body says okay if there's trauma more than likely we may be at risk here for some sort of pathogen getting in so we need to drive up this inflammatory process in fact you know there's um there's you know basically there are compounds that are released whenever whenever a tissue is damaged that trigger an inflammatory pa- an inflammatory process, and again, that's the body saying, "Okay, we need to break down and repair this, but also we want to make sure that this region, which is now more susceptible to infection because it's damaged, we need to make sure that no infection gets in and uh, further ca- causes further uh, damage to this this particular region of our body."
1: And what, like, how is somebody going to know? That they're actually they ha- actually have inflammation taking place in their body right now. What are the signs, the symptoms, and then are there blood tests or other types of tests that we can objectively look at and say, okay, inflammation is present. We need to address it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So whenever somebody's inflamed, okay, we typically think, and it can impact people in different ways. But the way that most people, uh, you know, in a sense, feel inflammation will be heat in certain areas pain, so painful joints, that could be an issue, or just areas that are not functioning properly. Like in your skin, if you have skin inflammation, you may not feel pain. You may, but you may not feel pain, but you might have eczema. You might have you know, dry, scaly skin. You might have acne. That's an inflammatory process on your skin. In your brain, you don't actually have pain receptors. So when people have headaches, that's typically coming from outside of the brain, Um, where blood vessels are being constricted and different muscles around your skull are actually being impacted there, and that will cause headaches. But your brain itself doesn't feel pain. There's no actual direct pain fibers there. And so you might have brain fog. You might have mood disorders like depression, anxiety, sluggish cognitive processes, poor memory. These are all signs of inflammation, trouble losing weight. That can be a classic sign of inflammation, having to clear your throat a lot, believe it or not. So if you eat, particularly if you notice like, hey, I'm eating, every time I eat peanuts, in fact, I had this when I was in graduate school, I would eat peanut butter and I would have to clear my throat and I would feel fatigued all the time. And that was my body actually creating an inflammatory pro, inflammatory response, creating more mucus in my throat. Part of that could be because I had silent reflux where I didn't actually notice acid reflux. But the acid was actually jumping up into my esophagus and my body was responding by creating more mucus in and around the throat. And I had to clear my throat all the time. I'd feel extremely fatigued. Fatigue is a, a, a common sign of inflammation. Again, you're not noticing pain. However, your cells are not producing the energy. Your mitochondria are not producing the energy they need. In fact, they go into a state where they become more hyper-inflammatory and, and pro-oxidative, where they actually themselves, the mitochondria, are supposed to produce energy and they're supposed to buffer uh oxidative stress. And so when our body is very inflamed, they signal a danger sign and they actually create more oxidation in order to protect themselves from whatever uh the inflammatory insult is, and they reduce their. Energy creating capacity. We call this kind of a hypometabolic state where they stop producing energy the way they should. So we feel fatigued. We feel um, like we've got, you know, again, sluggish um, brain function. We oftentimes will have trouble losing weight. We might even have thinning hair, right? This is a common sign of inflammation as well. So it could be a lot of different things. And then when we look at labs, a couple markers that we look at one would be called is called C reactive protein, which is an inflammatory marker. And it's easy, easy test that you can run. A lot of insurance companies run it. We always want to see that under one. Now, the typical lab range won't flag it high typically unless it's over three. However, if anything over one is a sign of pretty high-level inflammation. In fact, HSCRP, high sensitivity C reactive protein is not even like a really good marker, honestly, for inflammation. It's a marker. If it is elevated, we know that you have very high inflammation. I'll see this high on a lot of people. And we know that anything over two, actually, especially if that stays elevated for a period of time, dramatically increases your risk of heart disease, cancer, neurodegenerative conditions, osteoporosis, which I know obviously you're an expert in. Um, different uh, autoimmune conditions, diabetes. And so that's definitely a marker you want to get run and be able to look at that on a regular basis. Also, another great marker is ESR, erythrocyte sedimentation rate. And this is kind of looking at, are the blood cells sticking together or are they moving kind of smoothly through your bloodstream? And so when red blood cells stick together, they're not able to basically get oxygen, deli- their, their, their oxygen li- delivery to cells is reduced. And when the oxygen delivery to your cells reduced, that's when your mitochondria says, okay, there's a problem here and goes back into that hypometabolic prooxidative state. So it's really important that we have good functioning red blood cells, good oxygen carrying capacity and good oxygen extraction at the cellular level. So ESR is one way we can look at that. And so if the red blood cells are clumping and dropping in a in a tube fast, quickly, like faster than 10 millimeters per hour, that's a sign that uh, we have a lot of clumping going on. And the actual negative charge of the red blood cells is reduced. So normally they have kind of this repulsive charge, this negative charge on the outside, and that can be reduced And there can be, uh, for example, antibodies that actually bind to the red blood cells and create more of a positive charge. And now we start to get more clumping. A lot of people with autoimmune conditions, you'll see higher ESR levels. Um, You know, people with just any sort of chronic inflammatory state can have higher ESR levels. So we'll look at that as well. Another key marker is your fasting insulin. Okay. And I know we're going to talk more about blood sugar, but insulin is this hormone that's really key for getting glucose, which is sh- blood sugar, as well as nutrients into your cell. But the key is you need to have good sensitivity to insulin. Your cells can actually start to reduce their level of sensitivity. We call that insulin resistance. And that can be a major problem. And that happens and it's very much correlated with inflammation. And so we like to see your um, you're, your fasting insulin. So you should be fasting overnight, getting your blood work done in the morning. So you're fasted, let's say 12 or 14 hours. You go in, it should be under six. Okay. And if it's up over that, that's a sign that your body's producing too much insulin. That can be a factor when it comes to inflammation. Also another marker that we look at is serum ferritin. Ferritin is a storage form of iron and normally you know you need to have some of that that's a storage form what happens is a lot of bacteria parasites they use iron even uh, cancer cells will use iron as kind of like a um like a fertilizer to help them grow and reproduce right and and cancer cells obviously they're fast dividing cells they use a lot of this iron and so when our body when when our innate intelligence says okay we have high pathogen load in our system, or we have a high amount of abnormal cells that are growing rapidly, it will start to store more iron and put less iron into the actual serum uh, to be utilized. And we'll start to see this ferritin going up. And so we start to see ferritin up over, let's say, 150. That's a sign we have inflammation going on in our system. We can also have conditions of iron overload as well where all of our iron markers are high, and that's a a condition called hemochromatosis, and we know that high iron itself is pro-oxidative. So we need a certain amount of iron. That's what actually produces the hemoglobin that's in the red blood cells that brings oxygen to the cell. We talked about how important that is. However, if we have too much iron, we actually create more oxidative stress. And oxidative stress is kind of a precursor to inflammation. When there's high amounts of oxidative stress, it drives up all of our inflammatory pathways and amplifies inflammation in our system. So high iron levels actually can be a major factor here as well. So those are three markers. There's a number of other markers that can be looked at, but that's a great place to start. Um, actually more than three markers. I mentioned C-reactive protein, ESR, fasting insulin. I also mentioned the serum
1: ferritin as well. And these are, these are not tests that, you know, you can't go to your doctor and get them ordered and get them covered by insurance. These are everyday tests. They're, they're accessible. You can go get these and you can understand kind of where you're at.
0: Hey, I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about my cell liposomal glutathione. This is an amazing product because our modern world is toxic. No matter how health conscious you try to be, the truth is that every single day, you and I are being bombarded by harmful toxins and stressors. Things like EMF, 5G, heavy metals, chemicals, processed foods, and the like. And when left to roam free, These toxins take on the form of something called free radicals. Free radicals promote an unhealthy inflammatory response and contribute to oxidative damage on the cellular level. This is kind of like the browning of an apple. This is happening inside of our bodies at all times and it's potentially leading to premature aging, a lower quality of life and a range of health problems. But the good news is that we can fight back with antioxidants and they are crucial in combating free radicals and keeping you on track. And one of the most powerful antioxidants known to man is glutathione. You see, glutathione fights free radicals and molecules that cause cellular damage while repairing the DNA and flushing out toxins. The only thing about glutathione is that not all supplements are created equal. You want a kind of glutathione that has optimal absorption capacity. And that is why I love the Purality Health MyCell Liposomal Technology which delivers the nutrients into your bloodstream. And it's proven to be 800% more efficient than other forms of glutathione. And even better, this is backed by a 180-day money-back guarantee. And today, we have a 30% off coupon for you. Just visit PuralityHealth.com and use the coupon DRJ to access 30% off today. That's PuralityHealth.com. That's P U R A L I T Y H E A L T H dot com. And use the coupon code Dr. J to access 30% off today.
1: You did mention blood sugar. Let's talk about maybe healthy blood sugar levels. What do those look like? Yeah, for sure. Blood sugar is
0: so important. I I talked about how those red blood cells will clump. When we have elevated blood sugar, the sugar molecules themselves will actually bind to proteins in our bloodstream and create something called an advanced glycation end product or an AGE. These AGEs, I mean, what do you think that does to, to us? It accelerates the aging process. They create rampant amounts of oxidative stress. And Again, oxidative stress, as that goes up, that turns on all the inflammatory pathways In our immune system. And so we have to keep our blood sugar in this kind of delicate balance where it doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. If it gets too low, now we don't get enough uh, glucose or energy into our brain. And then our, our brain cells our neurons will become hypometabolic, meaning that they don't have enough energy to run. And so they start to shut down energy production. Many of them will actually die. And then they release a whole bunch of Uh, cytotoxic chemicals that actually damage other tissue, other brain cells, other neurons around them. We get this neuro excitotoxicity. So, hypoglycemia, where we have low blood sugar, very problematic. We probably all experience this at least once in our life where we get really hangry, we get irritable and hangry at the same time. Maybe we have tremendous cravings, we have this massive like desire we have to eat right now. Um, and you know, that's that's what happens when we have hypoglycemia. That's a big problem in our society today more people have hyperglycemia where they have too high blood sugars. they're creating those advanced glycation end products. So both states are toxic. The key is we need to keep our blood sugar very, very stable. So typically if we're looking at a fasting blood sugar, which I don't think is really the best measurement of overall sugar, but it does give us a window in. Ideally, that fasting blood sugar should be roughly around 80 or so at the bottom end and maybe up around hundred on the top end. Now there are some caveats to that. I've seen people with fasting blood sugar at 70 and I'm like, okay, do you feel nauseous in the morning? Do you feel like really irritable? Do you have massive cravings? Are you starving when you wake up in the morning? They're like, no, actually I feel great. I feel really, really good. In fact, I don't feel hungry. I feel like I just get into my day and I, I have great brain energy, great mood. And I'm like, okay, well that's a sign your body is fat adapted where you're actually, your liver is creating ketones, which is a byproduct of fat metabolism so you know, our by our brain itself we can't get fatty acids which are a great fuel source into the brain so the brain so the, the liver actually converts fatty acids into a smaller compound that's water soluble called ketones and those can cross into the blood in, i'm sorry into the through the blood brain barrier into the into the brain where they can be used for energy and when we're able to use these ketones for energy we feel great even when our blood sugar is low so that's one caveat However, most people that have a, blo- a fasting blood sugar lower than eighty don't feel very good. They're usually uh, hypoglycemic. But again, there could be caveats if they're really taking good care of their body and they are, um, you know, they do feel great in that state. That's that's awesome. And also on top of that, somebody might actually have a fasting blood sugar up over hundred, but feel really good as well. And this is something we call dawn phenomenon, where in the morning, for certain individuals. They get perhaps just a little bit more cortisol release. And it typically happens with very lean individuals. In fact, I'm one of those types of individuals where my fasting blood glucose will be a little bit higher. However, you know I feel great throughout the day and I'm able to fast for long periods of time. I have great mental energy. I, my mood is fantastic so that is not necessarily a sign that we, that i have prediabetes whereas you know my fasting glucose might indicate that um you know if it's up 100 110 typically is a range we call pre-di- pre-diabetes, roughly 100 to 126 over 126 fasting blood glucose that's that's where where we diagnose diabetes so a couple other things we can look at one is hemoglobin a1c which is basically a 90 to 120-day range where we're looking at what's happening to those red blood cells, what level of glycation. Remember how I talked about when a sugar molecule binds to a protein, it creates this advanced glycation end product. So we're looking at how much damage is taking place to these red blood cells over the course of their lifespan, which is roughly 90 to 120 days. And so we want the hemoglobin A1C really to be under 5.2 and ideally under five. Okay. Now to be diagnosed with prediabetes, it needs to be up at 5.7 and to be diagnosed with diabetes, it's at six and a half. So there's a big difference there. So when I'm looking at that, I'm looking at, okay, how well is this person maintaining a stable blood sugar? throughout the course of the day on a day by day basis rather than just one measurement at one time in the morning and that's super critical to look at and then also it also tells me how good are they at at actually getting rid of damaged glycated blood cells when somebody's more inflamed their liver gets more sluggish and they're not as good at metabolizing damaged red blood cells and so they end up with more of them in their bloodstream, which results in a higher hemoglobin A1C. And obviously that's a sign that we're not getting enough oxygen delivery to the cells. So our mitochondria, again, are going to go back into that hypometabolic prooxidative state, and it's going to turn up all the inflammatory pathways. So we can look at that. And there's also continuous blood glucose measurements. Now, looking at fasting blood glucose, hemoglobin A1C, and then I also mentioned the fasting insulin, those are all great tests. When you go in for your blood work, tell your doctor you want all three of those, all three of them, okay? If your blood glucose is, let's say, 105, but your fasting insulin is three, that's fine. It's actually, a real, it's it, you're, you're doing great. You're, you're, you're insulin sensitive, and that's just what we call the dawn phenomenon, particularly if your hemoglobin A1C is also 5% or less. However, if you're seeing all of those out of balance, if you're uh, fasting blood sugar, you know, and for some people, their fasting blood sugar is good, but their insulin is 12 and their hemoglobin A1C is, let's say, 5.6, right? This is a sign this person's developing insulin resistance. They're driving up inflammation in their body. And so that's that's a big issue as well. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about is continuous blood glucose meters. So you can actually get one of these um, and you can ask your doctor, especially if you've been diagnosed with prediabetes or diabetes in the past then uh, your doctor will be much more likely to get it for you. There's also companies like Levels, for example, that where you can actually order one. Um, And you can actually, it's very easy to put on, put it on the back of your arm, and then you get a little app on your phone and you can actually be testing your blood glucose at all times throughout the day. So you can see how stress impacts it, how a good night's sleep impacts it, how a bad night's sleep impacts it, how the foods that you're consuming impact it, how much caffeine might impact it. So you can look at all of those things and kind of get a, you know, in the moment reading, uh, just of what's happening based on the scenario that you're in. And that's great feedback. It really helps you customize a, you know, your, your lifestyle plan to keep blood glucose, blood sugar, and inflammation under control.
1: I love how specific and tactical you were there and giving, you know, Specific numbers and specific tests, because these are things. If you're listening to this, you can take these things away from this and go share them with your doctor. and Get some great information. And if you're listening to this right now and you're finding it helpful, be sure to hit the like button. If you're on the podcast or on the YouTube channel, hit the share button. Share it with somebody you know that you think it would be really helpful for them to hear this. Uh, because I know we're about to get in some really awesome information here. So let's talk about Dr. Jockers. How do how do blood sugar and insulin impact bone health? Yeah, for sure. So when we think about bone health,
0: well, most people don't realize, most people think it's a calcium issue, right? You either have enough calcium and then you have strong bones or you don't have enough calcium and then you have weak bones. But actually what happens with osteoporosis is actually an inflammatory process. And so inflammation actually degrades the protein matrix and blocks the ability of the you know bone cells to really absorb key nutrients that they really need to be able to heal and regenerate. And so we think about osteoporosis, instead of, and there may be a malabsorption or a nutrient deficiency component to it, but we really need to lump it into this category of chronic inflammatory conditions, just like heart disease, cancer, neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's. And some people have a higher genetic propensity to have something like osteoporosis. And, and also, you know, obviously it really trends towards females because the the key role that estrogen plays when it comes to osteoporosis. I know for you, you had celiac disease, which is a chronic inflammatory condition as well. And so not only were you not absorbing nutrients properly, but you're you were creating massive inflammation throughout your whole body. And that was one of the major components of why you ended up developing. Um, it was osteoporosis, right? By the time they did the DEXA scan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so so, really, to prevent osteoporosis, as I know you teach, we have to keep inflammation under control. And, you know, there's this really key component between gut health and obviously bone health, because we know the gut is where most that's really, you know, if you ever ask somebody, hey, where does your immune system live? Most people have no idea. They're like, I, I don't know. It actually lives in the mucus membranes. That's where roughly 80 to 90% of your immune system is in the mucus membranes of your body. And the largest area of mucus membrane is actually your gut. You also have it in your sinuses, your lung epithelium. Um, And those mucus membranes, that's where your natural immunoglobulins live. And it's so critical to keep your gut lining healthy, strong, and the mucus membrane uh, that that kind of lives right above the gut lining, um, you want to keep that really hearty and very sensitive and very healthy um, in order to have the proper immune response. And we want to keep inflammation under control. So inflammation is a very important process, but it should be short-term where we may have heightened, immune, a heightened inflammatory process if we have trauma, injury, um, damage to our gut from, let's say we eat a bad meal or something like that, you might have that, there's really no way of getting around it. However, we should be able to keep that under control and heal and reset our system within a, sh- a fairly short period of time and get all the inflammation under control. If we have chronic sputtering, high levels of inflammation, that's when over time, 20, 30, 40 years, we start developing these chronic inflammatory conditions such as bone loss, osteopenia, osteomalacia,
1: osteoporosis. And especially, you know, for somebody that doesn't have a baseline early on in their life, you know, in their thirties or forties or something like that. And then 20, 30 years of, I've had some people that have had IBS for decades and have never addressed the underlying issue. And then all of a sudden they have severe osteoporosis and they found out because they have fractured multiple times. Mm. Uh, and, and a lot of times it could have been something that started a long, long time ago. So getting these objective markers ahead of time is so, so important. Uh, and I'm glad you you brought that up. and then even even in terms of the impact of blood sugar on on bone health, too, as you were talking about that, I was just thinking about, you know high blood sugar, that's going to damage the kidneys also. And damaged kidneys're going to have a much harder time reabsorbing calcium. And then you touched on advanced glycation end products, which these are these proteins are deformed, right? They're not going to work like normal proteins, and your bones are fifty percent protein by volume deformed AGE proteins they're actually going to replace healthy collagen protein in your bones so you have to be aware of these things so blood sugar inflammation all of these things that we're talking about right now are really really important so uh can we talk about maybe the importance of uh, as we're talking about the gut maybe the importance of proper stomach acid production for bone health
0: yeah for sure well stomach acid is so key we talked about pathogens getting into our bloodstream You know, we get a large pathogen load every time we eat food. So even if it's well cooked, you know, we think it's kind of fully sterile. You know, the moment it's exposed to air, we're getting pathogens on and and high, high amounts of bacteria and different microbes on that food. Some very good for us, some not so good for us. We consume that food and our stomach acid, its first job is to actually sterilize the food that's coming in. And at rest, when we're just sitting here at rest between meals, the pH of our stomach should roughly be be between around 3 to 3.5. Now, that's actually very acidic, okay? At, you know, if you look at water, water is neutral, it's roughly 7.0. And there's actually a really big difference in the pH level of something that's 3 to 3.5 versus 7. And as we eat food, particularly large proteins, like let's say a steak, We actually need to bring that stomach acid from that range of 3 to 3.5 down to roughly 1.5 to 2.2 in order to really metabolize, sterilize that food, break that protein down into amino acids where they can be really digested well, to be able to chelate the minerals, key minerals like iron, zinc, calcium, magnesium. And that's very energy demanding in order to be able to produce that stomach acid. Now, in our society, we're typically eating on the go all the time, right? We're eating, we're busy, so we're eating food while we're doing a whole bunch of other things. And when we do that, that's counterintuitive. So in order to produce that stomach acid, we actually have to activate our vagus nerve, which is uh, this large nerve that comes from our brainstem down into all our visceral organs. And it's part of the what we call the parasympathetic branch, and so that we have a when, it, when we look at the part of our nervous system called our autonomic nervous system, which which basically means automatic. We don't have to think about it. This is what controls our heartbeat, our breathing rate, um, our ability to digest and absorb nutrients. We're not thinking about that, but we have two branches. We have our sympathetic, which is also called our fight or flight part of our nervous system. And then we have the parasympathetic, which has to do with resting, healing, digesting, and reproducing. So Those are antagonists when we are in fight or flight. So if we're really busy, we're trying to get a whole bunch of things done. We're exercising, right? We're stressed out. That is all part of that fight or flight. When we're doing that, we're not, our system is not going to be focused on digesting food. It's not going to be focused on producing, let's say, you know, anabolic or or healthy hormones that support our, our, you know, our, our libido or support, um, you know, our, our skin health and all different tissues, all the, all different systems of our body. We're not going to be healing. We're trying to, we're basic. Our body is, we're, we're sending a signal that we're in survival mode and that's good for short periods of time, like exercise. For example, we know there are great benefits to that. It's great for short periods of time. We want to be really, really great at adapting to that stress and be super resilient and, and hard to kill in a sense. Um, however, We don't want to be there for too long. We want to be there for short periods of time. And then we want to spend most of our time in this parasympathetic state where we're really focused on digesting our food, resting, healing, regenerating. And so when we're eating a meal, it's really important that we take some time, relax our body, tell our body, okay, we're in a safe space here. And when we do that, we start to activate that parasympathetic nerve. We're able to produce the digestive juices necessary to metabolize our meals, stomach acid, bile, pancreatic enzymes. And again, stomach acid, first thing it does is it sterilizes. When we get the pH down, kills off a whole bunch of those pathogens that would drive up inflammation in our body. Second thing it does, breaks down proteins. Third thing, it helps to activate the absorption of vitamin B12 as well as key minerals like iron, zinc, calcium, magnesium that are so critical for our body. On top of that, when our stomach acid gets low enough where it needs to be, it activates the opening of our pyloric sphincter which then allows food to move into the small intestine. And it activates receptors in the, in the front part of the proximal part of the small intestine that trigger the release of bile. And bile is an alkaline substance that comes in to kind of help neutralize the acid. And bile is also antimicrobial. So there's some bacteria that survive. They love acid, but they don't do well in a very alkaline environment. So it helps kind of kill off or, or keep those under control because we actually don't want a whole lot of microbes in our small intestine. We want a lot of really good stuff in our large intestine and it will, we'll, we'll get there, right? But we don't want a whole lot in our small intestine. So stomach acid and bile help keep the microbial load under control and balanced if we get the right release there and then of course bile is really important for fat emulsification to break down fatty acids to absorb key fat soluble nutrients like vitamin d which we know is so critical for bone health um, as well as vitamin e vitamin a all super critical for bone health as well as you know all organ systems and keeping inflammation under control and then it also releases from our pancreas at the same time the bile is being released we also release bicarbonate which again is alkalizing as well as and along with the bicarbonate comes all these powerful digestive enzymes pancreatic enzymes to help metabolize our meal so we are able to break down the food the bolus is what we call it when it's kind of predigested from the small from the stomach moving into the small intestine to break down that bolus into very very tiny absorbable nutrients amino acids um you know vitamins minerals fatty acids, right? That we can now absorb glucose now that we can absorb into our system and utilize for energy and all the other vital functions that we need it for. When we don't get that good release, for example, if we don't get enough stomach acid, we don't open that pyloric sphincter and now food will actually sit in the stomach and rot and gas will be produced that opens up the esophageal sphincter, which is not the way we want to go. So we open it and it's normally closed when we're eating. It opens up and now food and acid will jump into the esophagus and burn that tissue. And we may develop, you know, acid reflux, or we may develop, you know, silent reflux, like I was talking about. Some people feel it, some people don't. Um, and now that's a sign that we're not absorbing nutrients and we're driving up inflammation. We're getting tissue damage here in the esophagus, and that's going to drive up inflammation throughout the body. And we're also going it's also a sign we're gonna get poor nutrient absorption, poor bile release poor pancreatic enzyme release. And now we're creating a dysbiotic environment in that small intestine and more inflammation and stress in the small intestine. And we're going to have a lot of problems there. Just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about peak tea. These are amazing teas that are specifically designed to enhance the benefits of fasting, helping you get deeper levels of autophagy and cellular healing helping to shut down your appetite and support healthy weight management. They're delicious. They won't break your your fast. They use the highest quality uh, cold brew crystallization that gently preserves active compounds at their maximum potential with no prep or brewing needed. They're 100% organic and triple toxin screen for pesticides, heavy metals, and toxic mold, which is really common in tea. A lot of teas have heavy metals. They've got pesticides. They've got molds. Not with peak tea, it's the highest possible purity, and that's why I love it. This is why my family and I drink this regularly. We really love the bergamot fasting tea. We know that bergamot is loaded with theoflavins to nourish your gut bacteria, support digestion, and boost satiety. And great, it's really great for energy. And bergamot itself is great for, for your skin, it has a flavorful burst of citrus. And it's oils-enhanced digestion. They provide unique mood-boosting properties. You're going to love that. They also have the ginger green fasting tea. We know ginger is great for your digestion, great for keeping inflammation under control. We know the catechins in green tea are some of the most powerful immune supportive compounds that you can put in your body. Also really great for stimulating autophagy, downregulating inflammation in the body. So really, really powerful stuff there. And then you've got cinnamon herbal fasting tea, which is amazing for supporting balanced blood sugar and helping manage cravings. I love the cinnamon herbal fasting tea, really great flavor to that. And guys, Peak is extending a limited time offer Just for my audience, you can get 5% off, plus a free pouch that comes with 20 premium samples, so you can try different flavors when you purchase the fasting bundle. Head over to peaklife.com forward slash drjockers and use the code Dr. Jockers, or D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S for a special discount. Guys, Peak has over 15,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot of reviews. This has been well-tested. Try it for yourself risk-free with a 30-day satisfaction guarantee and you'll either love it or you get your money back. So that's peaklife.com spelled P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E.com slash D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S and use the coupon code Dr.
1: Jockers for a complimentary gift and 5% off. And what most people do in that situation where you just talked about that we've got too much, too little stomach acid that then creates the reflux, what do most people do in that situation? They do PPIs, right? Yep. Tums and... They H2 think they have too antigen. much acid, but they actually have too little. Exactly. So that's we, we need to address the underlying root cause issue. And as you we were going through that and talking talking about the digestive system and all these enzymes and fluids and things like that that we produce, our body is designed to help support... Uh, the the functions that we need it to to be our best, healthiest selves. So, can we maybe talk about just a few? What are some foods that you like to incorporate into a plan? Maybe that support healthy blood sugar levels, that are that are anti-inflammatory, that are maybe supportive of bone health too.
0: For sure. Well, you want to focus on a blood sugar stabilizing nutrition plan. So, I'm a huge advocate of getting good quality proteins. That's really what you want to prioritize first. And I recommend getting roughly about. 30 to 40 or more grams of protein in each meal depending on your body size and your activity level. So if you're, you know, lifting heavy weights, uh particularly if you're a male and you're lifting heavy weights, you might need more than 40 grams of protein in a meal. If you're a female and you're you're trying to stay active, but you you know in general you're a lower uh, you know, muscle mass type individual, 30 to 40 grams is fantastic. That's going to create satiety. So you're not going to feel hungry. You're not going to have the cravings can help stabilize your blood sugar. And it's going to provide the key amino acids that your body needs. And I like to get those from grass fed or pasture raised animal products or wild caught seafood. So, Wild caught seafoods fantastic. You know, a lot of those foods, wild caught salmon, for example, rich in omega three fatty acids that are so anti inflammatory for your body. Rich in something called astaxanthin, wild caught salmon, which is one of the most powerful antioxidants for your body. Um, Pasture raised, grass fed, organic animal products are going to be rich in a wide array of nutrients as well as those the good quality proteins. So we definitely want to focus on that. Then what we want to focus on are getting some healthy fats. Now, we're going to get it in some of those animal foods, but we can also get it from things like extra virgin, fresh pressed, extra virgin olive oil, which is super rich in polyphenols, as well as vitamin E and monounsaturated fats that are so good for stabilizing blood sugar, avocados or avocado oil, um, coconut oil. You've got grass-fed butter, for example. That's another great healthy fat source. So all of those are fantastic. And then we're looking at trying to get a lot of colorful fruits and vegetables in our diet. When we get a lot of, a wide array of colors, each of those colors has unique nutrients. We call those polyphenols in particular um, or other you know antioxidants that they may have as well. And these all help support your gut microbiome. They all help reduce oxidative stress and inflammation in your system. So you're trying to make your meals very, very colorful. So things like red cabbage, Um, broccoli, cauliflower, arugula, like I know we talked about earlier today, one of my favorites, getting some of those bitter herbs, arugula, parsley, cilantro, radishes, artichokes. I love artichokes as well. These bitters really help to stimulate bile flow. They actually help to activate um, stomach acid production. Ginger would be another really good one. And you can get some of these in, in teas as well um which will actually help stimulate they help stimulate your vagus nerve and help stimulate the production of stomach acid bile and pancreatic enzymes so you get better digestion so trying to get a lot of those things in getting a lot of colors um you know if you're able to do nightshade vegetables tomatoes bell peppers are fantastic um you know each color has unique nutrients mushrooms for example are kind of like in the white color category and they have something called Beta glucans in there that are polysaccharide that actually helps support and strengthen your immune system. They also have adaptogenic compounds, terpenes, that help your body adapt to stress. You've got things like in that same category of white hearts of palm, which is a really powerful prebiotic type food that you can consume. Um, you know, reds. You've got lycopene, for example, and red fruit. So lycopene would be like uh, you know you're going to get that in tomatoes, for example. Red fruits like raspberries, pomegranate, strawberries have things like ellagic acid in there, which is really powerful and great for your your microbiome and helps you, helps strengthen your intestinal lining. So there's some great compounds that you're going to find in those red foods. Blue foods, blue or purple, have resveratrol and bean, which um, and anthocyanins, which are really great for reducing oxidative stress and reducing the, the well, basically um, helping to slow down the process of aging in your body. So you can find, I mean, talk about any, any certain compound, any sort of vegetable or fruit. I mean, you're going to find very unique compounds in there. So
1: prioritize a protein, make sure you've got healthy fats on board, and then lots of colors, and you're going to do really well. That's empowering, that's exciting. You know, I'm thinking of abundance. A lot of times when people think about, "Oh, I have I have to eat healthy." And you you immediately think about all the things you used to love that you're cutting out. Well, we can also focus on all the things we have the opportunity now to include and incorporate in all these bioactive compounds that you may not otherwise get. So, I'm really glad you touched on all those. And I know you mentioned intermittent fasting. Uh, earlier also let's talk about that just briefly maybe for for how does that actually help reduce inflammation as well yeah for sure and so you know we talked a lot about foods and foods you can consume in order
0: to heal but actually the most anti-inflammatory thing you can do from a nutrition perspective is actually fast By not eating, you reduce mechanical stress on the gut lining. So we talked about there's tears and damage to that gut lining, you got to think about it like almost like a sprained ankle. So if you have a sprained ankle, you're not going to go out and run, right? You're not going to do high-impact activities. So taking the high-impact off the gut itself gives it time to heal and repair. So whether it's intermittent fasting or maybe just like doing something where the blender, like a smoothie where the blender is already broken down, Um, you know, the food and made it to a point where it's just basically at its smallest level. And now it's very easy to absorb or doing a bone broth or something like that. That's going to take a lot of mechanical stress off the gut lining and give it more time to heal and repair. And then on top of that, actually intermittent fasting helps to diversify your microbiome. So in your gut, you actually have these, you have two classifications of microbes. You have primary feeders who are typically larger and live above the gut mucosa. And then you have secondary feeders that are typically smaller and live deep within the mucosa. All right. And so the when we're eating every few hours, like a lot of people are, particularly if we're not eating great foods, we are we are feeding and preferentially favoring the primary feeders. And we get less nutrients seeping into the mucosa and feeding the secondary feeders. In a sense, we crowd out. So we get an overgrowth of the primary feeders, and we get an undergrowth of the secondary feeders. The way I think about it is like this. In my yard here, I have got an apple tree, and I've got a blueberry bush. And every year, we actually have to go and trim the hedges, trim some of the branches off the apple tree. Otherwise, it grows really abundantly, and it and it actually crowds out. It actually uh, covers and has too much shade for the blueberry bush. And then we don't get blueberries. So we actually have to trim or break down some of that apple tree and limit the amount of apples that we get in order to get blueberries. Well, this is kind of what intermittent fasting does and how it shapes the microbiome is that it actually trims down the amount of primary feeders, which allows for more nutrient sites and just more space for the secondary feeders to be able to develop. And one of the key secondary feeders is something called Ackermansia mucinophilia. Mucinophilia means mucus loving. And when microbiome researchers, you know, they've been studying the microbiome for the last 20 years. And what they found is across the board, higher levels of acromanzium mucinophilia are correlated with lower levels of chronic inflammatory conditions. And so what does this do? acromanzium mucinophilia breaks. It can, it can live off mucus, but it also loves polyphenols. So when we are giving ourselves time between meals or intermittent fasting, condensing our eating window. Let's say we're eating in, instead of a 12-hour window, maybe we're eating in a eight-hour eating window. So we're eating between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. or something like that. It gives it time for the primary feeders to kind of die down a little bit. And now the secondary feeders are able to get a lot of these polyphenols, which they love. And so when we eat the polyphenols, we it, they break them down and they actually create something called urolithins particularly urolithin a urolithin a then gets into the intestinal cells and stimulates something called mitophagy which is this breakdown of damaged mitochondria in the intestinal lining and then it stimulates the production of new healthy mitochondria and we and mitochondrial biogenesis where the intestinal cells now have young very stress resilient mitochondria and more of them than they would have if we hadn't done this and you know, in a sense, the resiliency of a cell is is going to be dependent upon how well functioning the mitochondria are and how many, the, the overall number and the function of these mitochondria. And we want our intestinal lining cells or enterocytes, I and mean, we want all the cells of our body, but our, in particular, the enterocytes to be as stress resilient as possible. And that's what happens when we are doing this sort of intermittent fasting We give our body that period of time, that time to heal. We also trigger and stimulate autophagy, which is, again, this process of breaking down old damaged cells. So we talk about bone, right? When there's old damaged, you know, bone cells, right? We're breaking those down and we're turning, we're taking the raw materials, recycling them and creating new healthy bone tissue, new healthy collagen tissue in our bone. So we have a stronger bone matrix, so, this is the process of intermittent fasting actually tells our body, okay, now it's time to heal and repair. And we're able to get this process. And so I, I look at intermittent fasting as kind of a core component, a lifestyle component, depending on the individual, depending on their activity level, depending on their body size, um, you know, and and their and their blood sugar and insulin sensitivity is gonna really that's and their schedule, that's gonna really dictate what sort of intermittent fasting schedule that that they're gonna run. but typically I'm recommending people eat their meals in a 10 hour window at the very least, right? So 10 hours during the day. so you fast 14 hours overnight. So let's say you finish your last meal at 8 to 8 p.m, you don't eat again until 14 hours later, which is roughly 10 a.m right? So during that period of time, drinking water, um, non-caloric beverages. That's fine. You know, herbal teas, things like that. Even black coffee can be fine for most people. Um, but you're not consuming calories. And then you consume your calories in a 10 hour eating window. And then depending on your, you know, how you feel with that, you might tighten that window up eight hours or six hours. And you may not do that every day. You may just do 10 hours most of the time. And then, you know, a few days a week, you might do an eight or six hour window. And then if you're able to, and this is a great test of your metabolic flexibility and your ability to burn fat, is one day a week, do roughly a 20 to 24-hour fast where you're more or less like eating one meal one day a week, okay? And when you're able to do that, that's gonna trigger deep levels of autophagy in your system and deep levels of fat burning and and cleansing, and you're gonna get even greater anti-aging benefits when you're able to do that. Now, the key there is you gotta make sure you're consuming the protein like we talked about, the nutrients when you are eating, so you don't wanna under-eat when you are eating, However, you just eat less often. And when you do that, that's when you're going to get these great benefits, these great inflammation-reducing benefits and uh, deep cellular healing benefits that come with intermittent fasting.
1: This has been a fascinating episode. I know we're we're at our time here, and uh, I've really, really enjoyed this one. And I want to thank you again so much for your time. Where where can people find you, Dr. Jockers? For sure.
0: Well, drjockers.com, also my podcast, the the Dr. Jockers Functional Nutrition Podcast, and Uh, if you go there, you're going to find Kevin's interview, uh, which should be coming out here soon. And, uh, we went on a deep dive into bone health and, uh, he was a great guest, but check out my, my, my podcast website, drjockers.com, social media, YouTube, I'm, I'm all over there. And I also have an inflammation crushing smoothie guide, uh, with some of my favorite smoothies that you guys can get as well. So we can put that in the show notes too.
1: Awesome. Sounds good. That's perfect, and uh, I'm I'm really glad we had this episode. It's been great having you on here. And remember, for everybody listening to, you can always find Bone Coach all the different social channels: Facebook, YouTube, Pinterest, TikTok, at Bone Coach, and then you can find us on Instagram at Bone Coach Kevin, and uh, all your favorite uh, podcast channels plus the Bone for the Bone Coach Podcast. And the last thing I would say is you can always find that free Stronger Bones Masterclass in the show notes below. All the show notes that we mentioned here today you can find over at bonecoach.com forward slash Dr. Jockers, osteoporosis, bone health. I want to thank you again so much for your time. We'll see you in the next episode.
0: Well, that's all for this show, and I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life. You know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.